Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 95 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, the game flight this week is going to feel a little bit better than other weeks, so let's get into it. The last flight we left off was the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Canucks took off to the Columbus Blue Jackets Friday night, and unfortunately, they lost 4-2. Canucks head over to Boston. Pretty decent effort over there, but blew a 2-1 lead in the third. Most notable from this game is in the aftermath. Canucks fan favorite Brad Marchand received a three-game suspension for his slew-foot on OEL. The Canucks continued their road trip to Montreal, where they came out with a 2-1 victory. Connor Garland and Elias Pettersson both potted goals. Pettersson potted his on the power play with his epic one-timer. It's the game we've all been waiting for. The Canucks beat Ottawa 6-2, six different goal scorers. Future Hall of Famer Luke Shen with a beauty. A couple of really nice goals in this game. JT Miller, of course, going Connor McDavid. Uh, a game this team desperately needed. Well, Doug, uh, we actually got to talk some wins in there, and uh, we're going to talk a lot more Canucks later on. But first of all, how's things, how's things going? Yeah, they're pretty good. I uh, got the football game on here. I'm a little disappointed. Yep. CeeDee Lamb just missed getting into the end zone by a yard, maybe a yard and a half. Uh, so that's kind of disappointing. Um, but other than that, you know, things are good over here. It was a beautiful day in Vancouver today. Uh, which is nice because we've just been getting pelted with rain for what seems like a month now. Well, I'm hoping that your CD Lamb no score turns into a uh, Zeke rushing touchdown, although I'm not sure what, what's happened. No, doesn't look like either of us are getting a touchdown on there. Screw you, Michael Gallup. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's been nice the last couple of days, although it's been cold today. I was uh, out having to do some stuff today. I was like, holy crap, man, it reminds me of like Chicago or something, the way the wind was whipping through there. But yesterday, man, was just just gorgeous. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's it's been pretty nice to the first couple of days in December here. Like I said, the rain has subsided, at least for now. Um yeah, I, I I had to wear sunglasses today. I literally, who thought you'd be wearing sunglasses in Vancouver uh, in the first week of December? But uh, here I am, dusting dusting off the sunglasses, getting that layer of dust out there. Hey, I've got a first week of December question for you. Uh, do you have an advent calendar? I don't. I I do. I actually bought my brother one. Uh, I like the advent calendar. It's like it, it's. Just that little bit of chocolate in the morning just gets the sugar in me going. It's like, all right, between that and uh, and a hot cup of something, I'm uh, I'm good to go. But uh, yeah, that's uh, I still do the advent calendars, uh, but now I do the chocolate ones because growing up, my parents never let me do the chocolate ones. Yeah, I know they've got like beer advent calendars and actually whiskey advent Dangerous. calendars as well, but they're pretty expensive. But you get some and wine ones as well. Wine ones, really. But I know yeah. you get some pretty cool beers and some pretty cool whiskeys that are kind of like special one-offs. Um, but I've never bought one or been gifted one. Maybe this year will be my year. It's a cool idea, but it's a uh, it's a pretty dangerous idea. Um, speaking of drinking, we are the speakeasy. Uh, I guess we don't uh, we don't really 
you know, promote drinking or condone drinking any sort. But having said all that, I'm, I'm cracking a beer for this episode, Doug. I know in our early days, we used to always crack a beer and talk about it. And then we're like, ah, we don't really need to drink every episode. And plus, it makes us all burpy. Um, but you know what? I'm going to be possibly burpy this episode. Uh, I'm cracking a yellow dog right here. Uh, chase my tail pale. Um, it's been... It's been a long day. It's been a long couple days. So, uh, cheers. I'm I'm having a beer for this episode. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, I might crack into a whiskey. Uh, I actually never talked about what whiskeys I picked up when I camped out at the liquor store a few weeks back. So, uh, maybe I'll bring that up in the free pour segment later on in the episode. Hey, also, um, do you want to tell folks about Saturday and what's going on on Saturday? Yeah, so uh, the Canucks are playing the Pittsburgh Penguins, and friend of the show Terry Guest is coming over from the island, and he uh, got a, some tickets through our work. And a couple of other people on Twitter, Jeff Y and Ryan, are also coming to the game, as is Braden Ursel of the PP1 podcast. And uh, yeah, I think a bunch of us are going to probably hit up the American on Main Street uh, pregame. Uh, quick easy spot to kind of walk from there over to the stadium and also they're serving up some epic down low chicken burgers and yes. chicken uh tenders so yeah i think the plan is maybe 3 34 p.m we'll be at the american on main street any uh, fellow listeners or Canuck fans in the area that would like to stop by and join us for a beer and a chat uh we'll be there probably between 3 34 and we'll probably head towards the game, I would imagine, quarter after 6, maybe 6.30. And some down-low fried chicken. Yeah, man, it's going to be fun. A little a little bit of a Canucks meetup. We're going to try and get some more meetups in uh, the future. Um, but if you are interested, just shoot us a message uh, on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. The podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And Pete and I continue to build this playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy Outro Playlist. Be sure to give that a follow as well. All right, so coming up on this episode, uh, of course, we're going to have some Canucks talk. Uh, before we get into that, we're going to do a quick around the room, talk about a couple of things around the NHL, and then, of course, we'll end it with our traditional free pour segment at the end. So let's take it into around the room. I think you're going to want to hear this. Uh, no, I'm just playing. I'm, I'm having fun here at the hockey game. And I think the big news in the NHL this week has to be what happened in Montreal. Hey, like uh, that's a, a serious house cleaning for a team that just went to the final last year. Yeah, I, I do wonder... And to be fair, I mean, I think there were Bergevin had been kind of on the hot seat for a little bit on and off for the past couple of years. But I almost wonder if the Stephen Mayu pick had anything to do with it. And the fact that ownership, Jeff Molson decided to give Bergevin a very short leash heading in short leash heading into this season. Uh, I mean, you, you don't have your number one goalie in Carey Price. You don't have your captain in Shea Weber. Um, and f you're coming off a Stanley Cup Finals appearance. To be fired within the first two months of the season is a little bit surprising. That being said, there was a lot of bad publicity for the Montreal Canadiens after their Stanley Cup final appearance 
like I said, the Stephen Mayu draft pick, which I think was a head-scratcher for a lot of people in the league. Jeff Molson, who very much like our owner in Vancouver, often doesn't speak publicly to the fan base or to the media, had to come out and issue a statement after the Canadians made that pick. Uh, and then obviously Scott Mellenby as well, who now is kind of, there's some rumblings about some ties with him in Vancouver. Uh, he was kind of told that he wasn't going to be considered for the GM or president role. So he just straight up quit uh, the day before the axe fell on Bergevin. So it was quite the eventful weekend for the Canadians. Uh, I, I think you're you're banging on with a lot of that. Uh, first of all, I, I got to ask if someone named Steven at one point in life, like, beat you up or something because a couple episodes you're calling Alex Chase on Steve Chase on and now you're calling Logan Mayu Steven Mayu like you got Steve's on the brain here man like uh did, did, was there an incident with the Steve growing up or something no I yeah I I, I don't even know man I just I'm I guess I'm <laughs> I'm usually the one you're the one that usually mispronounces the names and I'm the one that gets yeah. the names wrong I usually say yeah, the there wrong names but between the two of us, we can usually uh, get it right. Like, that's why that's why we co-host this thing, right? Is like we're at least each half a brain. We can put it in the blender and, and make it work. Uh, but what you're saying about um, Mayu, that did not go over well in Montreal. And uh, you know, I, I've got friends who are Habs fans. And man, if Vancouver had made that, I wouldn't have been happy either. There's a ton of other uh, players out there, and, and to use a first rounder on it as well yeah. it means they were hell bent on getting the guy. You cut, combine that as well with uh, Mark Bergevin being in Chicago when everything happened there, um, and I think a lot of the fans in Montreal were ready for a change, even though they had gotten to the finals the previous year. And even though I thought Bergevin over the past few years in Montreal had done a really good job of piling up uh, draft picks, making some good signings. I thought he did the job as a GM pretty well, but I also don't think you're going to see him getting a job in the NHL anytime soon. I do think that my U pick and uh, ties, any ties to Chicago right now, uh, I think that that hurts his chances of popping up in the league anytime soon. Yeah, and the other thing that we haven't mentioned, uh, Jeff Gorton, the former GM of New York Rangers, was hired to be the president, and now he is on the hunt for a French-speaking GM. Uh, obviously, teams in Quebec, it's different. You know, you have to be able to speak both languages fluently. I know there was a lot of controversy back in the day about not having a captain who spoke French, uh, Saku Koivu being that captain. I don't know if he was the first non-French-speaking captain in Montreal history, but I know for a while he was. Might have been. Yeah, he might have been. Uh, and even a coach, I know, uh, I forget who the coach was, a few, maybe it was Kirk Muller and on an interim basis, I'm not sure, but I remember there was a coach who didn't speak French, so that, you know, that's obviously a thing that anyone who gets a job in Montreal has to navigate, so Jeff Gorton was hired by Molson, he was a guy that I really liked as a potential uh, person to replace Benning in Vancouver, but obviously that's not going to happen now, because the Aquilinese, as always, seem to be sitting on their hands and not making any decisions or moves for the future of this club but that's a topic in for a later part of this episode but yeah I think it's a really good hire from the Canadians hiring Jeff Gorton I think he's a guy who is a bright guy and he's gone through a couple of rebuilds and I, I think Montreal realizes despite getting to the Stanley Cup final last year that they need to rebuild this thing 
Shea Weber's probably done playing hockey, or he might have a year or two left. Uh, Carey Price isn't Carey Price anymore. He's a guy that I think is probably on the way out as well. And yeah, I think they brought the right guy in to kind of re-steer the ship in a, in a new direction. Um, a team president. How nice would uh, would that be? That's uh, that I, I geez, I've been calling for a team president here in Vancouver for a while. So I, I do like uh, that move. Patrick Waugh's name has come up uh, a bit as well. I saw uh, that they even discussed it and pardon the interruption, which uh, I always get a kick when they, those guys talk hockey, but I couldn't actually hear what they were talking about. It. There's just when I, where I work, I could see a TV on, on the, the pub side. And uh, I was like, oh, they, they could see Patrick Waugh's name was on there. But I, I have seen rumblings about that, which would be so kind of, I mean, full circle, I guess, if Patrick Waugh came back to Montreal. I'm here for it. I would love to see it. Uh, that's just such an incredible story. Um, and as you know, Montreal, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time there. I know you were in Montreal not too long ago yourself. Uh, the French thing is is very real there. And I mean, it is two languages in Montreal that flip back and forth and often in the same sentence as well. It's They're interchangeable. But outside of Montreal, the rest of La Belle Provence, you need to have French there. And that is, with especially without the Nordiques there, and the Nordiques often appeal to a lot more of Quebec because of that, because they were more unabashedly French. And I know people in Montreal say, ah, that's not true. But it is true. They, they, Quebec was really, the Nordiques were really Quebec's team. And Montreal was, it was more... It was, I mean, Montreal is just different. It's a team with so much history. They got more Stanley Cups. They've got so many Hall of Famers. It's just such a unique team and a unique franchise that you do need to have that French aspect in there. And and it does get harder over time. I mean, this is a league that was predominantly Canadian for a long time. And where did a lot of these players come from? They They came from... Quebec and Ontario and the league isn't like that anymore you know I've read an article recently about how there's not any major Quebec superstars in the league right now and all the players that they mentioned you know like guys like Lemieux and Robitaille and Lafleur and stuff like I'm like we're going back 20 years like I mean really Lafreniere was maybe this supposed to be the next one and you know I could think Le Cavalier was in there but there hasn't been that that French Canadian presence in the league so uh, just with the way Patrick Waugh left, I still remember that. I think bringing Waugh in would be uh, would be a lot of fun myself. Yeah, I, I would love to see it. I mean, I think Waugh would definitely, definitely uh, stir stir up some emotions for a lot of people, Habs fans, and just in general. Like he's never struck me as a guy that would be easy to deal with, and I can only imagine being in trade discussions with Patrick Waugh, how a lot of that conversation would go. I think it'd be very one-sided, but you know what? Sometimes you need that. You need a GM that can stand their ground and hold out for what they think the player they're trying to trade's worth is. I mean, perfect example, look at Joe Sackick when he traded Duchesne. He held out for almost a season and a half before he traded Duchesne, and he got more than his fair value for him, and you, you know, you need GMs to be able to stand their ground and stand pat. And Joe Sackick is a perfect example of that and a teammate of Patrick Waugh. That is true. Yeah. Um, I think I think we should start a slogan out there. It says, why not? Uh, just with a question mark. <laughs> and uh, the Canucks Speakeasy is here for that. Patrick Waugh is uh, the next Montreal GM. I am I am fully on board. Hey, um, someone with uh, more Vancouver ties. 
Do you want to talk about Evander Kane at all? Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> but I guess we have to. I mean, it is pretty big news. Uh, Vander Kane was put on waivers by the San Jose Sharks after his 21-game suspension for falsifying his COVID vaccine status. Not really surprised, to be honest. Um, I do think that there will be a team that will trade for him at some point in the season. And so I do think we will see Evander Kane playing hockey again at some point this year. Who knows when, but I do see a team take it. I mean, if a guy like Tony D'Angelo can get a second opportunity, I feel a team will take a risk on a player like Evander Kane. Can you tell the folks out there what you uh, what you said about Antonio Brown in our football chat? Well, yeah, so I have Antonio Brown on my fantasy football team, and I've been waiting diligently, patiently for weeks. He uh, has an ankle injury. And then today he got suspended for three games for falsifying his COVID vaccine uh, status. So I said in our group chat, Antonio Brown is the Evander Kane of the NFL, essentially. And just all the drama that kind of, even without the COVID vaccine, just there's always this weird drama and allegations against him. It's weird how sometimes that stuff just follows people, right? And I believe the person who outed Antonio Brown about his fake vaccine passport was a former chef of his, a former personal chef, who I'm guessing he probably treated poorly and didn't pay uh, you know, properly. And that's why these people turned on him or that person turned on him. It just, it's just always this thing. And it's a perpetual thing with Evander Kane as well, right? He's just a guy that's always in drama, always, you know, there's always something going on with this guy. There's There was talk uh, in those reports as well that San Jose would be willing to eat half his salary, which would certainly make Evander Kane a lot more, uh, more appealing. But let's just uh, ask you from a Canucks perspective, that salary, uh, after this year, he's got three more years left at a $7 million cap hit. So let's say San Jose eats half of that. That's a $3.5 million cap hit. Uh, Evander Kane is now 30 years old. I'm not sure how that happened. Do you have any interest in him if you're uh, if you were running the Canucks? Absolutely not. I mean, there's already talk that there's a bit of dysfunction in the Canucks locker room. Whether or not that's true, I'm not in the locker room, so I can't say. But he is a guy. No matter where he's played, there's been issues with him in the locker room and the way he conducts himself. I have no interest as a Canuck fan to bring him in. I know he's talented. I know he's a guy theoretically could help you win games but no thank you uh not interested whatsoever from a canuck standpoint i'm also uh still scarred by the whole jake for tannin thing of having a, a hometown boy play here um and again like uh i i liked evander kane uh earlier in his career again former vancouver giant right i know i've said this before uh but He's in that he's he's older than guys like Tanner Pearson, right? Like it doesn't fit into uh, the profile uh, that fits with his team. Uh, it's got problems off the ice constantly. It seems um, uh, it may be a distraction, and even at three and a half million, I think uh, you know I don't want to be paying a thirty-three year old Evander Kane uh, three and a half million. I just think, uh, especially with this team and the way they've managed the cap, they you can't be taking swings for the fences. Like that. Um, one more player I want to talk about. Uh, also doing dumb things out there. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, 
And uh, I saw Bertuzzi. I got a notification at work. And I just saw Bertuzzi. And my first thought uh, was kind of is kind of funny. I was like, "What did the Canucks just trade for Bertuzzi?" I'm like, "We're gonna we could have a Bertuzzi and a Burrows on the team. Uh, <laughs> what, what's going on here?" Um, yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi. For those that don't know, um, is he, I, I've read reports out there that he's the only player in the NHL who isn't vaccinated. Now he's in COVID protocol and unavailable to play for ten days. Um, I mean, this this seems inevitable, especially with everything changing around the world again, as it seems. Is he the only player in the NHL? that is unvaccinated i i saw that okay i don't know if i believe that though but i read i saw like a headline again one of my notifications and i've been so busy today i just haven't really had a chance to to read into it more but or maybe it was even yesterday i don't know the last few days have just blurred together but it did it's in there said that he's the only unvaccinated player i don't know if that's 100% true, though. Yeah, maybe maybe it's the only vaccinate, unvaccinated player on the Red Wings. But yeah, Steve Bertuzzi, what are you doing? I mean, Tyler Bertuzzi, sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was like, you got to be kidding me, Doug. No, you I was. I was. Me. It was a joke. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, what a numbskull. Get vaccinated, dude. Uh, what are you doing? You're putting your teammates at risk. You're putting your livelihood at risk by you know, now missing games because you're not vaccinated. I mean, and don't get me wrong, there are still plenty of people getting COVID, contracting COVID-19 that are vaccinated. But yeah, give your head a shake, dude. What are you doing here? No doubt, man. No doubt. And he's having a, he's having a good year statistically as well, 18 points in 20 games. But that's enough of that. Uh, let's get into the meat of the program here, what people actually maybe want to hear us talk about. Um, and that is, of course, our favorite team, the team that drives us mad, uh, the Vancouver Canucks. And I- I'm starting it that way deliberately because it's the Canucks have done what I think is like the most Canucks thing to do is start the road trip off with an absolute stinker play better but lose to teams that are better than them, at least in the standings. I I think on paper the Canucks are better than Columbus, but in the standings right now. And then you play two teams that are actually worse than you and beat them and end the road trip with a very big win against one of the worst teams in the league in Ottawa. So you come back home, and I know when we were talking about recording, because we don't record on game days, um, we're like, okay, well, we'll record on Thursday. Uh, but we want to do it later in the day because we thought that change might be happening. Now you're in this spot again where I think you're going to go into this next game against Pittsburgh on Saturday. I don't think you're going to see changes yet. But it, it's such a Canucks thing to do, isn't it? Like just you think you're going one way and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they pull you back in with this little bit of hope now. Yeah. Uh, look, I think they outplayed Columbus and probably deserved to win that game. But unfortunately, they didn't. The Bruins game, I mean, the Bruins are one of the better teams in the NHL. I thought for two periods they were outplaying the Bruins, but then Boston turned it on in that third period and absolutely dominated the Canucks and came away with the victory. Montreal, obviously, they were just coming off of the firing of the GM, uh, Mark Bergevin, and the Canucks came out with a win there. And Ottawa is one of the you know, worst teams in the league right now. They're still kind of going through their rebuild and they got a young guy, a lot of young guys playing at the moment and still trying to find their way in the NHL. But you're absolutely right, Pete. Like this is what's going to happen is like, despite winning these last two games over two of the worst teams in the league, there probably isn't going to be a change. I mean, I still think there needs to be a change at some point, you know, whether it's coaching, 
GM, both, putting in someone who can be that person of hockey operations in that presidential role, there needs to be someone added to this front office to at least start assessing the current management and coaching situation and start assessing players. I mean, you're already hearing rumbles about Benning's hands being tied. I mean, there were rumors that they had reached out to Claude Julian uh, in regards to coaching, and then there were those rumors were kind of shot down in the sense that they reached out, but at this time they weren't authorized or weren't going to make a change. Uh, there's obviously the JT Miller trade rumors. There's rumblings that teams have been calling about Bo Horvat services. I'm sure other players on the team like Brock Besser are generating calls at the moment. And you're hearing that the Canucks aren't answering phone calls or aren't interested in trading. But is that because Benning's hands have been tied by ownership? And if that's the case, then why do you still have this guy in power? Like, why is he still your GM if you're not letting him do anything or field calls on players or wanting to make a coaching change. It just doesn't make sense. And look, I'm on board with moving on from Jim Benning and finding someone else to start leading this team. But why is he still employed if he's not allowed to do his job? Well, and I mean, this is something um, I alluded to earlier in the episode and something we've talked about a lot and, uh, you, you know, is the need for more people in the hockey operations department and a buffer between management and ownership. Because as we've seen in sports, that gets blurry really quickly and it's not a good thing. It's not a good idea to have an owner in any business getting their hands into any department and having their whims with it without understanding the full aspect of what is going on. And I'm, I'm pretty sure... We're, we're in a landscape where there's a lot of rumors and a lot of stories out there, but I'm pretty sure most Canucks fans would say that there has been in the history of this ownership group uh, a history of being hands-on and getting the Canucks into situations with the cap or the draft or, or player management that they probably wouldn't have been had they had someone at the helm who was had complete autonomy from the ownership group and to tie that in with you know you mentioned trades maybe teams are calling I don't know I don't really think the Canucks are in the market for trading players right now there's a there's a lot of noise out there uh, as you know especially this past week there's a lot of noise um, and it is very hard to discern what is fact and what is fiction I mean if the Canucks completely stink things up yeah, I mean, it definitely does make sense to look in trading a guy like JT Miller or maybe Bo Horvat, who become UFAs in the not-too-distant future. Um, I think before you come to that road at all, though, it's changes behind the bench make the most sense as the next move that you have. But I also know that, I mean, I, like most Canucks fans out there, don't have a lot of faith in Benning to do that. And I also don't believe Benning has the full control to be able to to do that right now, uh, like you said, because there's no buffer between the GM and ownership. Yeah, and, and I again, all the reports you hear and rumblings and rumors, you don't know what to believe, what not to believe. But, you know, the, the reports that they reached out to Claude Julian, and there was another coach. Oh, Scott Walker, former Vancouver Canuck, who I believe is coaching a, a, at a university or something like that. Apparently, they reached out to Scott Walker as well. And 
it's just one of those things where it's like, well, if they're reaching out to these guys, but then he's not allowed to hire them and they're looking and wanting to make a coaching change, but it hasn't been done yet, then like, what's the holdup here? Like, there's clearly something, there is a disconnect with this team. I know they played well last night, but they played well against one of the worst teams in the entire NHL. And despite PD scoring that howitzer on the power play in the Montreal game, PD still isn't looking like PD. And he's still not as engaged game in, game out. Um, I mean, it was nice to see him get that goal. It was nice to see him smile again and look like for a brief moment he was having fun playing hockey. But something needs to happen. If And again, I don't think this team's going to be able to make the playoffs unless they go on an incredible run. But currently where they stand with the current coaching situation and the management situation, I don't see that happening. But you got to at least try, right? Or you start selling off assets for futures. And just because you sell off a player like, let's use JT Miller as an example, or even Brock Besser, who has been my favorite Canuck pretty much since he became a Canuck. And I'm very disappointed with his play this year. But let's say you start thinking about options of trading off Brock Besser. Well, just because you trade Brock Besser for future assets, whether that's draft picks and prospects, that doesn't mean that now you're totally tearing everything down and you're rebuilding. You're just restocking your cupboard. I mean, I look at all these teams over the years. Colorado is a perfect example. The Montreal Canadiens are another good example of teams that are trying to be competitive year in, year out, but are continually adding draft picks to their arsenal. Having draft picks additional draft picks besides the ones that you're granted from the league every year is good because you can use them for trades you can use them as potential home run picks in the draft you know if you have 10 picks going into a draft where normally you would only have seven you have three additional chances to hit a home run on a pick that you know you might not have had and it's one of the issues with Jim Benning and his management group since he's become the Canucks GM where they just their lack of adding picks and they feel like oh well they will only add picks with the rebuilding but they don't want to rebuild they want to retool and they want to continually be a playoff team it's like you've made the playoffs twice one year kind of controversially where you only really made the playoffs on a winning percentage because the the season was shortened due to COVID. And hey, they won their play-in series against the Minnesota Wild. They deserve to be in the dance, just like a whole bunch of other teams did. They beat the defending Stanley Cup champions at the time, the St. Louis Blues. But I feel like ownership and this management group are holding on to that way too much, and it's preventing them from making positive steps this year. I use uh, the home run analogy a lot with uh, the draft too. Is uh, like you know, if you let's say you go in, you have seven at bats, and let's say you can make it ten at bats, that's three more chances to hit a home run. Yep. And um, I, I I agree with that. Um, I I I'm okay. So like PD, I thought it, there were times out there that PD has looked more engaged lately. I know that the lines have gotten uh, shuffled up. Um, I think it was the game against Boston. I got really deep into his fancy stats, and they were fantastic. And uh, some of his fancy stats have been quite good lately. Um, the thing is, is like, okay, this is this is for me. Like, I'm as you know, I'm always like just like I'm I'm far too optimistic with this team because I I like getting crushed and kicked in the guts all the time. <laughs> I think I think what is going to be really telling is what happens at the game we're going to on Saturday. Uh, 
how do the Canucks react? Last time they played Pittsburgh, it was a stinker. They they played awful. That game to start that road trip, that was one of those games where I'm like, I can't watch it. The games against Columbus and Boston that we lost, I'm like, this is watchable hockey. There's more of an effort. And then, of course, we won uh, with Ottawa and Montreal. So in my opinion, there's actually been four good efforts in a row. Now, granted, the teams above them in the standings, they didn't beat, but the teams below them, they did beat. So maybe this just is where the Canucks are. And that's why I think this game against Pittsburgh is going to be so important. It's like, right, well, we're now taking this two-game winning streak. We're going for three, but we're going against a team that we lost to not that long ago and is ahead of us. So, I, I mean, this has been this has been the thing that's kind of been, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's like, what right now do I think the Canucks should do? Um, it sounds like you're still in favor of... A coaching change is that right is that what what you're saying i think a coaching change and a managerial change are needed i i or at least bring in a president to assess everything and then go from there but i i, I they need they need somebody else to come in and assess what's going on with this team because i know a lot of people talk about roster construction and yes the defense constructed isn't great but on paper, this offense should be a lot better than what they're playing. And they're getting the goaltending. They've been getting the goaltending from both Demko and Halak all year. But the lack of offense that this team is generating, to me, there's something wrong. And obviously, a lot of that has to do with the poor play of PD and Besser. Horvat as well. I know Horvat's play has stepped up a bit lately. But, you know, Horvat hasn't played up to expectations, in my opinion, uh, so far. Uh, I think Pod Colson, I mean, if we want to take a bright spot, the more ice time Pod Colson's been getting, the he's looked way more comfortable and way more noticeable. That line of Besser, Pod Colson, and Miller actually has looked really good. The last, yeah, me too. It, it's looked really good the last couple of games, and I, I would love to see more ice time for Pod Colson. Even that game, I, I don't know if it was the Boston game. I think it might have been the Boston game where Petey was stapled to the bench. That was the game where he had the fancy stats, but he had some of the lowest ice time he's had, I think, since mm-hmm. his rookie year, Pod Colson was the guy who was out there as an extra attacker uh, when the Canucks were pushing to try to get a goal uh, against Boston there. Not Petey. Petey was stapled to the bench. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I've liked what I've seen out of Pod Colson. I think he's progressively getting better. Hoglander seems to be heating up a little bit. But to me, there's just too much talent offensively for this team to be struggling as mightily as they are to put the puck in the back, the back of the net. So I think you think as well then that a coaching change would be made before a GM change. Um, is it, do you think that's fair to say? Yeah. See, I think the other issue with a coaching change, unless you just put Brad Shaw as the intern for the rest of the year, is if Which you I think are, is, I think they would. I agree. I agree. But if you are going to make a change from a managerial level as far as getting rid of Benning, most GMs want to pick their own coach. You don't want to inherit another coach, right? So if they decide to fire Green and let's say they hired Claude Julien or Bruce Boudreau, and then, you know, let's say at the end of the year they fire Jim Benning, well, I'm sure the new GM that they bring in is going to want to hire their own coach. Maybe they don't want to work with Claude Julien or Bruce Boudreau, whoever that coach would be, Scott Walker. Um so I think that might be sort of a holdup with the coach. And again, if you just need to fire the coach to get a change and to get a different voice in that room, as far as like a leadership voice for the players, you just put Bradshaw as the interim, you, you get rid of Green, you get rid of Baumgartner, 
Um, and you just kind of try to fill up the rest of the staff where you can on an intern basis. I, I, I think it's more than likely an intern basis. Uh, Brad Shaw, um, I know friend of the show, Lee Ferline has said, uh, that he thinks it could be Doug Jarvis, who's currently involved with the Canucks organization, uh, as well. He could be a shot to come in as an intern. Um, yeah, it's, it's, for, it's a tough one right now. Now, one thing that I think is really interesting is that, the Canucks now start a six-game homestand. In this six-game homestand, they're playing three of the teams, the three teams that they just lost to. Uh, they play Pittsburgh, Boston, and Columbus all during this homestand. It's a really interesting one. He also sprinkled in there, you have L.A., Carolina, and Winnipeg. Um, but what's interesting is, okay, six in a row, eight of the next nine, and ten of the next 12 are at home. So what I think could happen here, this is... I think ownership is going to read the reactions of the fan base. Now, the actions of the fan base is going to be very much related to the product that's on the ice. So let's say that the Canucks just become extremely disjointed, look like they did in that Pittsburgh game at the start of the road trip, and do that for a couple of games. Because these games are in Vancouver, the next six of them, and like I said, eight of nine and ten of twelve, there is going to be noise in that building if things do not go well so i really think right now i i think canucks players know that too they're aware of how much but this month like right up through christmas they leave once to hop down to san jose and then they come right back actually i believe it's twice both times they hop down to san jose yeah they go to san jose twice for a one game road trip that's it that's the only times they're leaving. They're pretty much home, and they're aware of that. So they know that if they play poorly in front of this fan base, that change is going to be coming out of the lower bowl and the upper bowl. There's going to be more fire chances. There's going to be general unrest. The city is going to turn on itself. Now, this is really – I know I feel like we've said this before, but this is kind of it with uh, the turning point of the season is what happens in this six-game homestand? How do you come out against Pittsburgh on Saturday? And that's that's where it starts. Uh, I, you know, look, I, I, I'm so flippity-floppity with this right now. I mean, I still think that the Canucks, for the amount of talent that they have, they play – they're playing a brand of hockey that I just don't think really – utilizes their skill sets to the best of their ability and you see it with you know you mentioned pod colson a guy that i got to give shout outs to uh because i think he's been our best player over the last uh, road trip is connor garland yeah and pod colson and garland you know what they have in common is this is their first year listening to green so they are probably buying into things a lot more you look at a lot of these vets and again, I'm going to probably get these numbers wrong. I'm just kind of going off of memory, but like, you know, one goal in 10 for Pedersen, one in nine for Miller leading up to that game. Besser hasn't scored in 12, I think it is. Uh, Horvat has two in nine, I think. Like, these are not amazing numbers uh, for what is needed to be the core of the team. Quinn Hughes is the exception. He's, uh, he's still popping in assists like it's no big deal. But I think... This is this is kind of the the difference. Some of our best players, Pod Colson, OEL, Garland this year, who I'd put among our best players. This is their first year under Green Hoglander, who I think has played well. It's his second year under it. Demko, Demko works with Ian Clark. I mean, he's kind of off in his own thing, but 
that's where the concern is. Now, if the Canucks beat Pittsburgh and look good doing it, I might be singing a different tune. I, I do think, though, like if if Brad Shaw or someone else within the organization comes in, is that really going to change things? Um, it, regardless, this is a long way of me saying that I still think that a coaching change has to come before anything else to really get a read on what this team is all about because we're riding a two-game win streak into a six-game homestand. Uh, you've got to win four or five of these games and look good in all six of them to really turn this fan base and this media and everyone and get them a little bit back on your side. Yeah. The issue is like we've we've kind of been saying this for the last month or so that, you know, we feel like, oh, this next stretch of games is really going to, you know, decide what happens with the future of the coaching staff or the future of the <laughs> managerial staff. And then the Canucks pull out a victory here, pull out a victory there. And then all of totally. a sudden it's like we're, we're back to square one again. And I, I agree with you, Pete, like this six game home stand, depending on how they play against Pittsburgh and Boston and Columbus, it's going to be telling. It's, it's going to be telling to see if they can start to build. I mean, like, I agree with you. I think they played the last four games. They played well. They didn't get a win against Columbus. They didn't get the win against Boston. Uh, they were dominated in that third period against the Bruins. That was kind of the difference in that game. But they played well against Montreal. They played very well against Ottawa last night. If they can build on that and build on the momentum of playing better and you know starting to generate chances and guys like Petey starting to put the puck in the net on the power play and Besser, you know, at least generating some offense, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's something to build here. But I still feel like it's time for a change. I do. I just I just feel like they they need to make a change both coach and managerial there just needs to be something i i still think you hire a president to come in and assess everything and then they make the decisions moving forward they make the decision whether or not they should change coachings coaches they make the decision whether or not jim benning needs to go and john weisbrod needs to go hey i'd, I'd be all for that as you know hey I'm, i want to ask you uh, a skill testing question here doug just uh, this just kind of came to me here so over this stretch of 10 of 12 uh the canucks home games are all seven uh except for two games they play the bruins at six o'clock so mark that in your calendar um and they have a four o'clock home game against someone on a saturday night can you take a wild guess at who that would be against on a saturday night a four o'clock game hmm. could that be the toronto who? maple leafs wow you passed what a what a surprise eh what a surprise so <laughs> Mark those in your calendars. Uh, and then the two games in San Jose are 7.30 starts. San Jose always starts at 7.30. Uh, I don't know why. Um, so we mentioned a few guys uh, like uh, that have, have impressed us. I, I don't want it to be all like, you know, harp, harp, harp on manager, owners, uh, you know, Oh, well, the owners actually screwed. I, I could I could be fine with harping on those guys for a while. <laughs> um, I like I still like Travis Green. Uh, like I like the way he does interviews. I like his demeanor. Um, but so, so that aside, is he may have lost the room. But let's talk about a few more just positives from the last little while. Um, one guy that I've noticed a bit. And actually, he was getting some praise in the post game. So I wanted to ask you what your thoughts have been about Tyler Myers over this recent stretch of games. I haven't noticed any egregious mistakes from Tyler Myers. That's good. I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Myers is one of those guys I've always thought, and you and I have discussed this on the podcast for 
a while now. If he's put in positions where he is limited to what is being expected of him to do on the ice and he's not playing above what he can do physically, I think he's a serviceable player. The argument is, should he be making $6 million when he's, you know, a quote-unquote bottom-pairing defenseman? Probably That's kind not. of the issues. But I, I think he's played well. I mean, he's definitely not the reason why the Canucks have been struggling these last few weeks. He's He's played better than... Tucker Pullman has lately. Tucker Pullman's yep. the one defenseman that I think's really been struggling as of late. Do you think Pullman comes out of the lineup when uh, the Canucks come back home and Hamnett comes in, uh, or do you think they take Kyle Burrows up? Ah, it's tough because I think I mean, Burrows I, has played pretty well. I, 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 agree. I, I mean, again, it's kind of you know like the newer toy, right? Uh, well, I guess Pullman's a new toy too, but Pullman. He's had a couple of games where he was okay, but for the most part, hasn't really blown me away. And again, for a defenseman, if you don't notice him, that's generally a good thing. But uh, I don't know right now. I'm like wondering who they take out next game. I have a feeling it'll probably be Burroughs, but I think Pullman might be on a shorter leash. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think it's probably going to be Burroughs that comes out. Pullman, I think there's just the team, unfortunately, with the term they gave him, they're just... They're a little bit pot committed, I guess you would say, uh, to Tucker Pullman in comparison. Pot committed? To... Is that like like Highmore? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a poker term for uh, all the Travis Green fans <laughs> out there, because I know he's a big poker guy. Um, I'm just trying to have have stoner puns in there. Oh, uh, nice, nice. But yeah, I think I think he's. Uh, I think the Canucks are a little bit more tied to Tucker Pullman than they are Kyle Burrow, so it's easy easier for them to just take Burroughs out once Hamannick is back and is able to play. But they're yeah. a lot they're a lot more tied to Tucker Pullman than Kyle Burroughs. So you you're definitely right there. They're a lot more tied. And they got 3 years and I believe Kyle Burroughs is just on a one-year deal. Well, they got 4 years after. I mean, there's 3 years after this year with Tucker Pullman. It's a four-year deal. Right. Right, it's a four-year deal. Yeah, sorry, and Kyle Burroughs is two. So I was wrong on both of them. Uh Burroughs they got for two and Pullman for four. Yeah. You know, the other guy who, and I know he was coming off an injury, so you figured it would take him a while to kind of get back up to game speed. But the other guy that I think has really impressed me these past few games, not really surprised, is Tyler Mott. I think Tyler Mott is really starting to show, you know, that he's back up to speed and, you know, he's he's hard on the forecheck. He had that breakaway shorthanded chance. I believe it was against the Bruins or maybe it was against Columbus. I don't remember. It's all a blur. But Mott is another guy that I think is really impressed. And even the penalty kill has gotten a lot better these last four games or so. And I think a lot of that has to do with Tyler Mott. You you know I'm a huge Tyler Mott fan. I really like him. Um, I also am very well aware, though, that he could be a, a valuable trade chip uh, at the deadline if you don't have him re-signed. He's UFA. Unfortunately, you got to look at, at trading him. Uh, Tyler Mott has been very noticeable out there. He's he's back up to speed now. Um, he's had a couple of nice tic-tac plays out there. I Tyler Mott, for me, is the type of guy that you keep some money aside for and you invest into a, a longer deal at a reasonable pay rate, right? Like, let's say, like, a nine-year 2.25, a nine-year, sorry, a four-year $9 million uh, deal at like 2.25 you know something that's manageable he's 26 I think that deal 
that would pay. I think he'd be happy with that. I think that's a fair term for him. And I think that's a manageable deal for the Canucks for a player that we've already seen has bounced. I, I've been saying for a long time that Tyler Mott is better than a fourth line player. And oh, yeah. he can bounce around the lineup a bit more. And uh, it's nice to see him doing that. And this is a guy, yeah, he's he's kind of cast as a fourth line penalty killer but I don't think that's the true dimension of his game I think he works much better as a third line winger myself and so he's a guy who I think has been very noticeable again uh it's great to have him back he's one of my favorite Canucks uh him and Connor Garland are uh that's the kind of style I love watching just high energy into the corners not necessarily the biggest guys but can skate really well they both have good shots they both have good hockey IQ um but he's a guy that I'm worried about because the team has traditionally not necessarily gotten full value for guys who are UFA over this regime. And you, if you're out of the race then, and I don't want to start talking about that yet because who knows, maybe the Canucks can turn things around and get back into it. Yes, I'm the eternal half glass full fan here. I'm not writing them off yet. There's still the three quarters of the season to go. But... It's something that they got to really think about is where does Tyler Mott uh, fit in with the future of this team? For me, I would do something. I would put an offer on the table sooner rather than later and say, hey, look, four-year deal, $9 million, something like that. And uh, I think that's fair for a guy like him. And if he likes it here, I think that uh, there could be some room to make that work. Well, considering this management group just gave Tucker Pullman a four-year deal worth $10 million, yeah, what you're proposing for Tyler Mott seems like an absolute bargain, no, Pete. No doubt, eh? No <laughs> doubt. Um, another guy who's been used uh, in different capacities throughout the lineup lately, Justin Dowling. Um, yeah. He's been actually playing alongside uh, Hoglander and uh, Petey a bit as well. Uh, hasn't looked out of place, so again, another guy who uh, is on a two-year deal, uh, very similar to, well, I think it's like exactly the same as what Kyle Burroughs is making um but he's a guy who's been uh, i think better than advertised as of late nothing extremely flashy but he's been getting a lot more ice time and uh, has been working around the line a bit a bit as well yeah i mean dowling's one of those guys when you don't really notice him it's probably a good thing uh i believe he's been getting some pk time as well since getting back into the lineup which i think is good um you notice him because he's playing with Petey, so I think that's one of the, some of the reasons why you're kind of noticing Dowling's play a little bit more because of who he's playing with. Uh, not that they're really generating much offense, but still the fact that Petey and him are playing together. But I agree, he isn't hurting this team. Uh, I, I like him. He's a he's a solid bottom bottom line player. You know, he's your solid fourth line guy. Uh, he's the type of guy that this team should have been filling out their bottom line with their fourth line with for years they should have been paying guys like what they're paying dowling three four years ago but instead they were forking over big money for guys like jay beagle and sam gagne and you know guys that aren't you know worth the money to play the role that you need them to play or that they can play yeah, that's uh, it's very true. It's a better better use of uh, of cap space in there. Hey, um, got just kind of a, a fun question for you here, just off the top of your head, and I'm not looking at uh, the numbers for all this uh, either. Um, maybe this is something we can do a little more on the regular, just kind of thinking on the fly here. But three stars for November for the Canucks. Now November, 
there's a lot of downs. There were some ups in there. Um, but if you were to give three Canucks, like a one, two, three star, it doesn't even need to be in any particular order. Um, who are your three stars for the month of November? I actually really like this as a potentially birth of a new segment here, Pete. Ooh, I like it. This just happened on the fly, folks. You're listening to history here. We've tried a lot of episodes, and we've seen a lot, or like little segments, and some have stayed, some have gone. So, hey, who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll try this one out. Yeah, I mean, we always like to keep it kind of fresh and, you know, new and try new things and experiment outside of our usual mandated routine. Um, so first star easily, without question, has to be Thatcher Demko for me. Yeah, it's mine too. Uh, there's, there's no way it can't be, right? That guy's just being phenomenal. Yeah, uh, second star would be Connor Garland. I think game in, game out, he's been the most consistent forward. He and Miller, I mean, Miller and Miller would be my third star. I know Miller still makes a lot of chance or makes a, creates a lot of turnovers and, you know, costs the puck up here and there. But generally speaking, Miller and Garland have been the two most consistent forwards that this team has had, in my opinion. So those would be my three Demko, yeah, Garland, Miller. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, Dem- Demko's the no-brainer there. Um, I-, I would also put Connor Garland in there because, I, like I said, I'm a big Garland fan. But I've- I have a feeling if I actually looked at the point totals for November that he would be right up there. Um, I feel like he's closed the gaps on some of the guys. Um, my third one, man, it's a it's a tight one. I mean, it's hard not to go JT, but maybe I'm just riding the back of four assists, even though it, it came in December. But I thought Quinn Hughes is... Uh, played pretty well uh, as well um it's a bit of a coin flip for me miller and hughes um i can't really argue either one but just to be different and get a mention in there i'll, I'll go with quinn hughes because um, he seems to be picking up steam and he does seem to be less of a liability in his own end this year yeah i agree i i think quinn hughes is definitely a fair call um he has played a lot better this year uh, defensively and he's starting to rack up the points again, which is great. I think he had four assists against four Ottawa assists last night. night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The last time, I, I believe the last defenseman to do that for the Canucks was Jeff Brown. I believe. Uh, they they mentioned it on uh, one of the shows. It wasn't Jeff Brown. It was uh, more recent than that. Um, and I am just blanking on who it was. It'll come to me because they asked iMac on the spot. And he said Sopel, and it wasn't Sopel. But it was someone around. It was someone around that era. It wasn't. It wasn't Sopel though. Um, like maybe but, Ed Jovanovski might have had a game where he uh, had four assists. Wasn't, wasn't Jovocop either. Uh, I'd have to uh, have to rattle my brain a bit, but it was around. It was around that era. Um, who it was? Um, I'll do a little little Google search in uh, here and see see what I can find. If anyone jumps out at me. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe uh, Brent Sopel would have had four assists in a game. I mean, no, yeah. it, well, it wasn't Sopel. Yeah. That was just his guess. I know, uh, but why Sopel, would you guess but... Brent Sopel? That's that's the point yeah, I'm making. Yeah. Like, I don't know. He had some moments out there. I don't know, Oland or Sallow, maybe it was. But anyways, it's been. Uh, I'm just looking at from around that time. It could have been earlier. I don't even know. But uh, you know, I, that was one of those nights. I came home after a long day and had some wine and kind of like half watched the game with. Uh, a bit but uh, yeah I think it was um, it was it wasn't uh, as far back as Jeff Brown but that's a good guess if I remember Jeff Brown I think only played like one season with the Canucks Uh, he didn't he didn't play a lot with the Canucks no yeah I I believe he played that 90 93 94 season and then that was it he might have played in one more season but I think he might have been traded halfway through the season the following year 
But uh, yeah, he he was a. I mean, he had a massive impact that one year he played. Yeah, yeah. It looks like they uh, picked him up uh, at the trade deadline uh, for '94. Uh, it looks like he was injured a bit in uh, the following season. Didn't play a lot, but he put up 31 points in 33 games. And then the year after that, after 28 games, uh, he was traded to Hartford uh, and then bounced around the league uh, a bit after that. Um, yeah, Jeff Brown. Always remembered as a guy who passed it to Pavel Bure at uh, 220 of the second overtime yep. uh, against the Calgary Flames. Uh, never forget that that call. That was uh, one of the all-time greats. I, I feel like we talk about that call on... Uh, at least with this episode 95 i'd say we've mentioned that call in at least 20 to 25 of our uh episodes oh easily easily that was a great one um doug uh any final thoughts before we take this into the free pour uh looking forward to the game on saturday you and i will be in yep. attendance with a couple of other people from canucks twitter um might be one of the i shouldn't say one of the last times but you know i mean could be one of the last times for a lot of people to see Sidney Crosby in person, uh, which is always cool when Crosby comes to town. I don't think Gino is going to be playing. I think he's still going to be injured. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the game on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, go Canucks, go. Yeah, man, go Canucks, go for sure. I'm, it's always exciting to see Crosby. You know, I saw Crosby. I've seen Crosby play here uh, quite a few times wearing the penguin sweater but i've also seen him play here with an olympic sweater and uh i think i've even seen him i I have to go back but i feel like i've seen him wearing other jerseys here as well i know i've seen crosby quite a bit over the years um again he's the guy one of the guys who defines a generation him in ovechkin and obviously the torch has been passed on to mcdavid and uh his merry men like uh you know matthews and mckinnon and the other guys who aren't quite at me and dry saddle of course um but really i mean yeah chance to see crosby is is always a always a big deal but yeah final thoughts for me i'm just kind of went on a crosby ramble there um i'm excited to go to the game as well really curious to see if the Canucks can ride this momentum. It's not a lot of momentum. It's Montreal and Ottawa, but you know, it's like rolling a snowball down a hill. Can you get it bigger and bigger? Or are you going to get hit a log and get stuck and, you know, fall apart? And uh, uh, so that for me is what I'm most intrigued about is uh, you finally have a bit of a momentum. You finally had a few guys score. Can you ride that now? And uh, the rest of it is, is going to be very much dependent on that. Doug, let's uh, take this into the free pour. It's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about, kind of give everyone an update. Uh, A few weeks back, what was it, November 13th, talking about how I went and camped out at a liquor store to pick up some special bottles of whiskey. I never actually mentioned what bottles I picked up. So I actually picked up three bottles. Uh, There was one bottle I was trying to pick up, the Stag Junior. Unfortunately, the liquor store I was camping out at only had 18 allocated. I showed up to line up at 2 in the morning, and there was already 31 people ahead of me in the line. I was number 32. But I did pick up three bottles. Uh, I've opened two of them, and they're both really good. One of them I still have yet to open. 
The first bottle I grabbed was Angel's Envy, a bourbon finished in port wine casks. Uh, it's a really good bourbon. I really like it. I've, it's been on my radar to want to try and add to my collection for a while, and I was lucky enough to get a bottle. The second bottle I picked up, which is the one I haven't opened, is Batch 3 of the Alberta Premium Cast Strength. Batch 1 won Whiskey of the Year last year, I believe. Um, in Jim Miller's book, I mean, you know, you can take that with a grain of salt. So I picked up Alberta Premium Cast Strength Batch 3. And then the third one I picked up was the Karchus release, the 2021 Karchus release from Lafroig. So this year's Karchus release was finished in Pedro Jimenez Sherry Casks. So it's a super peated whiskey finished in a Sherry Cask. And it's at cast strength as well. It's at like 54.5% ABV. And it's delicious, man. You got to try a sip of this, Pete, uh, next time oh, you're please. over, man. It's really nice. Uh, a super smoky, peaty whiskey, but with like sherry notes in it. It's it's amazing. And the color, I tell you, is like red. Like you almost think they put coloring in it because it's so brightly red, but it is it has no coloring in it. Anyways, that's what I picked up at my camp out at the liquor store a few weeks back. Just want to let everybody know. Funnily enough, I made a red beer today as well. So uh, I, gonna, I think I'm going to call it more of an amber. But uh, uh, it's tough to get those nice red colors, I can tell you that. Um, I think you just called an audible as well there on your free pour, didn't you? I did. I did. I said I was going to yeah. talk about something else, and I decided to talk about the whiskeys I picked up. Nice. Well, I'm going to talk about beverages as well, but I'm going with the hot kind uh, that you drink in the morning. And so... Uh, I just, it's just, it's more kind of a, again, just a ramble as I usually do in this segment, but I broke my French press again. I, cause I insist on buying like the cheap ass ones and I keep breaking them like maybe once a year. And I've just been so busy. I haven't had a chance to go and get one. And, uh, so I've had tea the last few mornings, which was all fine and well and good. But after like four mornings of tea, uh, I detoured, went and bought another shitty French press because that's apparently what I do. And uh, I'm going to get back onto the coffee routine. So anyways, my whole point with this is that uh, it was certainly an experiment to see if I am a coffee addict. And I am. And as soon as I got into work, I grabbed a coffee and made sure I didn't talk to anyone until that settled in. Uh, but anyways, part of my morning routine to go along with my chocolate calendar now, uh, I can safely admit that I am uh, a coffee addict, which I think I already knew, but that makes me happy. Coffee in the morning, whiskey at night. Hey, we, we got you, we got you covered on the speakeasy. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 95, just about in the books. Um, certainly an entertaining week of hockey and uh, looking forward to whatever this next one brings as well. Yeah, it should be an interesting next set of uh, six games, is it? The next homestand is for the Canucks. So we'll see yeah. uh, how they fare. A uh, question for you, Pete, just kind of off topic mm. that came into my head. And again, this probably would have been more suited for the... Uh, around the room segment but if the NHL doesn't end up going to the Olympics there's that huge break in games what happens yeah. there do they reschedule all those games across the league or is there just a break you you gotta think there's a uh, reschedule but 
geez, the night. Like, I've thought about this too. I'm like, they're just going to give the the players and the teams two weeks off. You can't do that in North America. I mean, yes, okay, the NFL will be over, but uh, especially south of the border, there's other there's there's too many other things. Hockey is generally on the back burner. You can't do that. So I would think that you readjust the schedule. But what a pain in the ass that is. Like, let's say you've got your tickets for a game in March on a Saturday. You're coming over from Victoria with the kids. And then all of a sudden, that game has moved to a Tuesday, two weeks earlier. And like, well, shit, now I can't go. And you got to, you know, or maybe it would be logistically, it it, get, it makes my head hurt. Because, uh, you know, also arenas, especially south of the border, getting booked out for concerts and stuff. But I think, I don't think you have a choice. I think you'd have to move everything unless the NHL wanted to do some sort of random promo all-star-y tournament stupidity kind of event in between yeah i don't know it just and like you said with concerts pre-booked and even like rv shows and boat shows that are booked for a lot of these stadiums i just yeah it seems like it'd be an absolute nightmare and you know maybe they just give available players two weeks off but i mean that's kind of that'd be a little bit surprising too that is what they do but that might be the the course of least resistance for them right might be it's uh it's a sticky situation i still don't really you know i don't think the players should go to the olympics i think uh the fact that it's in china as well and that the wta also just pulled an event out of china because of uh the issues with peng shui over there um uh which we talked about as well in previous episodes uh i I don't know, man. It just seems like now you got Omicron and uh, it's uh, it's I don't know if it makes a lot of sense to go. But, yeah, I don't know what you do logistically. Yeah, yeah that's that's uh, that's a nightmare. Um, but I don't think you can just have a couple weeks off and let the other sports run rampant in North America. Yeah, uh, I don't envy the potential schedule makers to re make the schedule if that is the case. Uh, it's probably a robot anyways and doesn't have feelings and just uh, is, can work on it and punch away at it in a couple of seconds. I, I watched something, a weird robot video earlier today with, like, lifelike robots. So anyways, oh, yeah, uh, I watched it too, dude. Super scary, Oh, you man. saw it? Oh, Holy yeah. crap, oh, man. Yeah. All, I, all I could think of was Terminator 2, uh, oh, yeah. which, uh, yeah, and another thing I mentioned, but, yeah, that, that weirded me out. Anyways, we're we're just kind of going off here. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap this up so the people can get on with their their lives. Uh, hopefully, this episode got you to work or through some of your work or just in, on your drive or just chill at home. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. Uh, you can follow us online on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. Also online, we have the Connect Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify where we put all these tracks. Uh, great listening music at work in my opinion give me a follow on twitter at doug then be sure to follow the podcast on twitter at canucks speak as always thanks for listening hasta luego